Thank you, Clay. It's so good to be here with you all. I, I love this church. I was here years ago. Adam led worship for an event I was at. Adam, do you remember what that event was? What was that? Something. It was something. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> it was here a long time ago. I, th- I think we had breakfast burritos outside. We had a barbecue, too. It must have been a men's thing. It was great. We had such a good time. And uh, Rick Roadheaver is a dear friend, and we met, got to minister together for years. I've seldom met someone as diversely gifted as Rick. I, as he was just speaking up here, I miss sitting under his preaching. We were on the same preaching team for years, and he's an amazing counselor, preacher, pastor, administrator, rock star. It's just amazing <laughs> the things Rick was able to accomplish. Rick, what t-shirt did you wear for your dissertation defense? That's, yeah, his Bruce Lee t-shirt that said, fear is for others. He, and it's, that's just Rick right there. I just love it. I miss you, Rick, and love that brother, and I'm glad to be here. It's, it's so good. I so agree with Rick when he says to gather with a bunch of men and sing like this and hear the voices raised. I love it. I am so grateful every time I see men gathered because... We men can have a really hard time believing we really need each other. And when I walk into something like this, I got to tell you, it's moving for me because your presence here is a public affirmation of your own neediness, right? So many other things you could be doing right now, but you're here, and in part you're here, I'm assuming, at least subconsciously, you're recognizing, I'm not okay by myself at home. I need other men, especially, to help me grow. I've been so blessed and encouraged just hearing Gary's testimony this morning, which he boldly proclaimed, and I was talking to Jason, who will be up after me this morning, and his boys got to meet Gary last night, and being with Gary again today was something they were really excited about, hearing the way God worked in his life. And what I loved is in the midst of a series on God's, trusting God when, he, when our plans fail, here's a man who comes to Christ in Vietnam. God sent him on a vacation to Vietnam to bring him to himself. And no one would have chosen that ever, but that's how God broke this man and brought him to himself. And so it's just beautiful to hear your testimony. Thanks, Gary, for your, your boldness in Christ. And my, I know my boys and, and Jason's boys, and, we've, we've, and Jason and I have been encouraged already in just hearing from you. So I'm thankful to, be, to get to do this and just be part of this. I think God knew how weak I was and that I needed actually a job where I get to do things like this may, way more than the average person. So I'm just grateful to be here. I really am. This is such a good church. I love being here. Thank you, guys. Well, when I was a sophomore in college, my plans failed considerably. And I didn't expect them to fail because actually my life was taken off. I had a rough childhood, a rough upbringing, but I moved in with my dad when I was almost 17 and things started to improve. And and then I was a late bloomer academically. I was a late bloomer athletically. And I ended up playing football in college. And by the time I was a sophomore in college, I had already started as a freshman in college at my university. And then I was, I was starting tight end again my, my sophomore year. And things were going so well. I was doing well in school. I was doing well socially. 
I loved, my girlfriend, who I eventually became my wife, was there at college with me, had a bunch of great friends. Things were just going wonderfully well. And then the second week of October hit in 1983, and I'll never forget that week. It started on a Monday. I was studying in the basement of my dorm, and some of my friends used to come by and, and terrorize me when I was studying because I think they felt guilty because they never studied, and I, I would. So I was in the basement of my dorm studying, and they would come by and throw water at me or you know, shaving cream balloons or call the pay phone down the hall and then pull a prank on me. And just, so I said, if they come by again, I'm, I'm going to attack them. And so I'm sitting behind this table, and three of my friends come running by with water balloons. And I'm trying to cover up my work, but I jumped on the table that I was studying at, and I went to leap on them, and I hit my head on the light fixture on the ceiling that there in the basement. And man, I split my head open 18 stitches later, got a giant bald patch on my, on my head, and and I, I was in the middle of football season. And so I knew if my trainers found out, they wouldn't let me play. So I kept it a secret. And I had a big ball patch, 18 stitches, but I wore a baseball cap all the time. And then I'd sit at my locker. I didn't even want the players. I don't want it to get out. So I'd sit at my locker. And before I came over, I would, I would put Vaseline on my hair so that I could just take my hat off and put my helmet on. And... Keep it on the entire time so no one would see it. And the Vaseline was so that my helmet wouldn't pull the stitches apart when it moved, right? So it slid around quite a bit when I was doing that. So, good. Kept it a secret. I was good. I didn't want them to tell me I couldn't play. So, the week went on. Everything went fine. And then we have a, a game that Saturday. And that Saturday afternoon, we decided we were going to go deep on the first play to me. So Billy Von Klock dropped back, and he threw a bomb down the sideline, and I dove for it, first play of the game, and I landed on my shoulder, and it separated. And I knew right away it had separated. So I knew if they found out, they wouldn't let me play. <laughs> so I stayed on the ground until I, I got it to go back in. And I'm good. So I'm, I'm playing, we, we play the whole first quarter, we're halfway through the second quarter, and they score. And I was, I was on kickoff return. So they kick off to us. I'm returning a kickoff. I get the sideline, and it looks like I'm gone. And out of nowhere, that, this is the problem with kickoffs, right? A guy came from nowhere. I, I didn't even see him, and he just blindsided me. And as I'm going down, my, I just put new cleats in. And as I'm going down, my foot stayed in the ground, and it's, I could feel it. I couldn't get it to come loose. I could feel it starting to twist. And as I'm about to hit the ground, a guy fell right on it. And my ankle went like that, and then when the guy fell on it, it went like that. And I knew something was really wrong. There were about eight guys on top of me at this point. And I just started screaming, get off me, get off me, my leg, my leg. And they peeled off, and when the last guy peeled off, I was on my back looking at the bottom of my foot. And I knew if they found out, they wouldn't let me play. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, 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 not this time. This, this time, <laughs> I rolled over and started screaming 
My leg, my leg, somebody help me, my leg. It was disgusting. When you're disgusted at your own body, that's a bad thing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm clawing grass, and I'm screaming my leg. And I remember it was Parents' Day. And they gave everybody balloons, blue balloons, when they came in. And I remember looking up at the stadium, and it was just blue balloons. And I'm thinking, there's something cruel about how fun it is in the stands right now. And then what I'm going through right here. So I, my coach comes running out, and he says, Eric, calm down. And I said, but coach, I saw it. And he said, just forget what you saw. Right. And... <laughs> And I said, is it back how it's supposed to be? And he said, you're going to be fine. And I said, I don't believe you. And I didn't say that. I thought it. And guys, I look up, and our offense is still on the field. They thought they'd maybe get me off, but they didn't realize this was going to be a while. And they're still on the field. And I look up, and my quarterback has got his hands on his knees, and he's throwing up <laughs> at the sight of me. <laughs> Has anyone ever vomited at the sight of you? I've had that experience. It's quite disconcerting to have someone lose their lunch at the sight of you. I found out later our kicker fainted on the sideline. I was a grotesque sight. So I was carrying on, embarrassing the program. So my coach stuffed a towel in my mouth. He said it was to protect me from biting my tongue. I think it was to protect me from embarrassing the program. And we, haven't, we always had an orthopedic surgeon on the sideline. Think about the idiocy of a sport where that's required, right? We'll always have a bone doctor right on the sideline. So he came out, and three guys held me, three linemen held me, and he said it right on the field with a towel in my mouth. Yeah, it was horrible. And my dad came down out of the stands, and he's there with me. Ambulance comes on the field. I, I, um, I get put in the ambulance, and I'm yelling, give me drugs, give me drugs, I'm saying. And they said, we can't until we're sure it's set properly. It, we can't, it can't relax, and so we can't give you any painkillers right now. And so I'm pounding the side of the ambulance. They get me to the hospital. They do an x-ray, they see it set properly, they give me some morphine, and I'm out. I wake up six hours later, eight screws in a plate in my leg, cast up to here, and I wake up, and I had never had that kind of surgery, and my cast had already become saturated with blood that continued to ooze from the wounds. And, and I woke up, now remember, I've got a giant bald patch and 18 stitches. I've got a separated shoulder. They thought I was in a motorcycle accident. It was just a week of college. That's all it was, was a week of college. And I'm sitting there, and I'm so jacked up. In, in a matter of days, my life went from being as good as it had ever been to being in a hospital, and the doctor telling me, you may never walk normally again, never mind play football. I ended up playing five more years, six more years. But but it was amazing to be laying in the hospital. And I'll never forget it. My very well-intentioned pastor came to me the, the next day. And he sat next to my bed. And he said, he said, you know, he said some nice things. But then he said, hey, Eric, why do you think this all happened to you? And I said, I know exactly why it happened. He said, you do why? And I said, because the guy in front of me missed his block. That's why. <laughs> That's why it happened, right?
bit of a smart aleck back then, maybe still today. But yeah, that's the only answer I had to why all this happened. It's the only one. And you want to know something? I'm 56. That was a long time ago. And that's still the only answer I have. Now, I could make up really spiritual-sounding answers. You know, football was becoming an idol. I just don't think that was true. I was just thankful to be playing, never mind starting. I, I, maybe it was, I don't think it was becoming too important. It was like a gift to a kid. I, I don't think that's what was going on. I, I, I honestly, I could make stuff up that sounds really spiritual. But I don't know. That's what I was saying to my pastor. I don't know. The only reason I got is the very immediate practical aspect of Donnie DeVallo missing his block in front of me. I remember it quite well. Yeah, and that's all I got still to this day. I know that sounds like subpar for a pastor and a guy who teaches theology, but that's all I got for you. I don't know besides that guy missing his block. And here's what I've realized. I don't know most of what God's up to. Now, what's really cool about being 56 is that's long enough to start to see some of the dots being connected. That's long enough to say, well, would you look at that? I had no idea in the midst of that what God was doing. Now, I'm more confident than I've ever been that he was doing something important and powerful and significant. He always is, isn't he? Even in the least significant things in our lives. He's doing something. He's always at work. He's always working for his glory and our good in everything. I'm more confident of that than I've ever been, but I'm actually less confident than I've ever been, than I'm able always to figure out exactly what it is. Now, we can always assume some things. Did he want to humble me in that? For sure. And that's always the case. And if there's anything about the COVID deal that I believe God wants to do is to humble us. I mean, there's something we can't even see that shut down the world. You know, elections can feel, ah, oh, we want to be good citizens and do everything we can, but then, ah, oh, what's going on with hanging chads? And what, in Pen I don't know. Pennsylvania, some of you aren't old enough to remember hanging chads. I do. It's not a friend of mine. It's, it's a thing in Florida, right? But, but yeah, we, our life can feel so out of control. And you know what? It is out of our control all the time, but never out of God's. I'm more convinced than ever he's always up to something good. Even in the worst, even in Vietnam, he's saving a man. And a lot of other men too, I know for a fact. In, in the worst circumstances. And it doesn't mean that we're, we have this passive, oh, God's in control. No, no, rage against the darkness is, is what we need to do. We need to hate evil, hate sin, and, and do everything we can to, to fight for God's priorities in this world representing him. It doesn't mean we're passive. It doesn't mean we're fatalistic. See, that's what I'm seeing so much of, right? Some people say with the outcome of an election, can fall into despair. And other people have the opposite, equally wrong perspective, I think, which is, oh, God's in control, who cares? Chill out, don't get so upset. No, and both of those are wrong. We need to be people who are actively engaged, 
with earnest desire to see God work in powerful ways, believing he's always at work and wants to use us in that work, just like Barry, who led Gary to Christ. He wasn't saying, oh, God's in control. No, he said, God, use me in the life of the, the, the men I'm here in Vietnam with. And he stayed after it with boldness. I just, I want to meet, is Barry, oh, Barry died, you told me. And you spoke at his funeral, Gary, that's right. I'm going to meet Barry, though, and I'm going to talk to him one day. Uh, so, so we believe God's at work, but we're not overly confident that we know what he's doing, even though we know he's doing it. You know, Rick read a passage that it's, you can't have a better passage for the theme than, than Rick just read. Let me read an Old Testament complimentary passage. That, that passage in James, I'm going to read just a verse from Isaiah 41. So if you'd open there, I think it's a, it's a beautiful Old Testament Hebrew mentality uh, compliment to the, the passage Rick read in James. That says, it, it, James is a rebuke to pride, isn't it? Who are, you know, it, it's, it's like the, who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Who are you to think you've got it all figured out? It, it's just, it, it's, well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And I wonder why I said tomorrow. I wonder why he didn't say a minute from now, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen a minute from now. Never mind tomorrow. Yet we make all these plans and our 401k and it's gone. Right? We feel like we got it all figured out, and we don't. And I love the way Isaiah puts the very same idea in Isaiah 41, 14. Listen to this. This is a hurt your pride verse. You ready? Fear not, you worm. <laughs> what, Jacob? You men of Israel? I am the one who helps you declares Yahweh, all caps, Lord is Yahweh, right? I wish they just put Yahweh in there. But anytime you see all that, all caps, L-O-R-D, you're supposed to think of the God who's the great I am, who met Moses at the burning bush, who's also the God of your fathers, the God of the covenant, who always keeps his promises to his people. The God who is abundantly overflowing with chesed, this steadfast love and faithfulness toward his people. And he says, fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares Yahweh. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Is that great? Now, I know this is strange. And there are people who, are, who call themselves Christians who hate what they call worm theology that comes from this sort of thing. But I want you to hear the goodness of worm theology. Worm theology does not deny that we're made in the image and likeness of God and, and more like God than anything else in all of creation. This does not deny that human beings have profound dignity and value and, and, and we should respect them. And, and you're, you're not gonna ever see anything in all of creation closer to God himself than a human being. But what this is, is a relative statement. It's a put us in our place statement. It's, it's, it's talking to people, not focusing on their pride like the James passage, but focusing on their worry, focusing on their anxiety, their fear, their uncertainty that's keeping them awake at night. And he's saying, look, I'm the Holy One of Israel. 
I'm the one who redeems you. I'm the holy one who's unlike anything else. I'm the one who's free of sin. I'm the great I am who keeps my covenant. And you are worrying as if you're running the show. You're just a worm. And it's a tender, it, it's similar to the sparrow thing. You're worth more than many sparrows. But he just says, relatively speaking, you're as in control as a worm compared with me. I hope you hear the tenderness in this. He says, don't worry, little worm. <laughs> it's okay. Don't take yourself so seriously is what he's saying. Why do you think you're actually running the show? Why do you think you're in control? And again, this is not an exhortation to passivity or a fatalism, but it's a perspective given. It's, it's like, who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Shall the clay say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Same sort of thing. Now, that's not the whole story. We're not just worms. We're not just clay. But it's a perspective giving verse that says, why do you worry so much? Because what he's saying to us is, look, you're just little kids at play in a sandbox. I know you're big, strong men who have very successful careers and some impressive accomplishments. But you're just a little kid. Remember who Jesus holds up as an example of someone who really gets the kingdom? A little kid. Be like this child. And, and so we've got to have a sense of playfulness. Look, when your kid was four, just playing in the sandbox without a care in the world, absorbed in the little city he was making in the sand. Did you say, I can't believe he's not worrying about all the bills we have? Doesn't he know we have a car payment? Doesn't he know about the election that just happened? Doesn't he know about all the, the diseases in the world right now that could wipe us out in a No, you say, oh, that's what kids do. And so this is an exhortation to rest in the sovereignty of the God who's the Holy One of his people, who's working out his plans all the time. You know, one of the, one of the courses I teach at Biola is the character of God. And we just do a survey of the attributes of God. And there are many attributes like sovereignty or wrath. We even get into godly hatred in my class. That's high-level stuff, right? Um, but, but I find that my students are troubled by so many of the attributes of God. And what I've done through the years is, is just realize that what I need to do is front load my teaching on the wisdom of God. Because if God's wise, I want him to be as sovereign as he is. If God's wise, I want him to be as powerful as he is. If God's wise, I want him to be as merciful as he is. I, I don't then fear that he'll be too merciful to the people who've hurt me and, and should be judged, right? I, I have found over time that if, if we really immerse ourselves in an understanding of the wisdom of God, every other attribute starts to be something we love about him. We love his judgment when we realize it's wise judgment. And we don't think enough about the wisdom of God. Now, the Bible says, 
You only gain wisdom yourself when you fear the Lord. I think about how many times in my life I've prayed for wisdom, but the Bible tells me that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I should probably pray 10 times more for fearing God than I pray for wisdom because fearing the Lord is the place where wisdom starts. It's amazing. How often do we pray, Lord, give us a deeper fear of you? No, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. I am desperate for wisdom. You know, becoming a dad. I, I always felt the need for wisdom. Becoming a dad, man, just went through the roof how much wisdom I need on a daily basis. Every one of my kids is very different from each other. And, and discipline needs to look very different for each of my kids, right? Based on how different they are. And, and sometimes, I, I always want to help my kids. I want to say that I do. I love them. I love my boys. We had the best time driving down here with rain and the clouds and listening to Kirk Franklin. It was just great on the way down. I love my boys, but sometimes I don't know how to love them well. Just ask them, they'll tell you. And I, I love them stupidly. I do. I, I, I'm a stupid lover a lot of the time. I really do want to love, but I'm just not sure how. How good to know that that's never true of God. He never says, well, I wanted to help, but that didn't go very well. It, it was a stupid way to love, right? No, like I have to say all the time. And so what I want us to do is just immerse ourselves in the wisdom of God. Because when you say trusting God when our plans fail, is sovereignty is one thing. But if we're not confident he is a wise king, wow, that's not comforting. If he rules over everything and determines everything that happens, that's not comforting unless that king is supremely and completely wise. So we better think about what we mean by that term anyway. So the wisdom of God, I want to start right with this passage. Listen to Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Just an amazing portion of scripture. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're preaching uh, through the first nine chapters of Proverbs at our church right now, and it's been so good for us to think about what wisdom really is. It's not just intellectual smarts. It's not even just practical Ben Franklin kind of stitch in time saves nine. By the way, I heard John, John Adams once said about Ben Franklin, it shocked me when I spent time with Ben Franklin and heard that the man who said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, never went to bed before midnight and never got up before noon. <laughs> you know, it's funny how we have these, these ideals for politicians right now. Franklin was not what you think he was, you know. He loved prostitutes when he lived in France. He was, he was not this incredible virtuous guy you would assume he would be with all these pithy sayings yeah so so what's real wisdom is it just figuring out the practicalities of life is it just having lots of information a lot no 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 it starts with the fear of the lord where your whole life becomes oriented around who god is and you care nothing more than than to learn who god is that's who, that's who you seek to know more than anything else. And so we want knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I don't want you to miss that. In the knowledge of God. I work with, with college students. I'm a pastor as well at our church, so I work with all kinds of people in all stages of life. But uh, my, my big full-time job is, is 18 to 24-year-olds. And they're obsessed with knowing God's will. What should I major in? What classes should I take this semester? I was just helping my daughter register last night. It's like the whole world is riding on which courses she gets into and, and which profs she takes right now. And, and, and should I ask this girl out? And what if she says no? And what should I major in? And what, what, should I do an intern, internship this summer? Or should I go to the, a mission trip? Or should I get a job? Or what should I do? And the parents are like, get a job, get a job, get a job. Uh, that's, that's a good one. But, but, but even those parents, need to say, well, well, maybe that mission trip is what she needs most, right? I was just hearing about Asher's plans, completely getting tanked for this school year. I, I was so sad for you. We prayed for you with a bunch of guys over this when I found out that happened. He had an amazing year planned, and the day he was going to go, it, it shut down. And what do you do then? What then? And again, we, we should grieve over well-laid plans that were intending to glorify God and, and fulfill all of this. But my students are obsessed with their plans and with God's will for their lives. And I'm convinced the vast majority of my students and maybe a lot of us in here, if I gave them the option between knowing God's will and knowing God, they'd pick the will. They would. That's more comforting to them. So you're going to tell me how it's all going to go? You're going to get me prepared emotionally and mentally for this? So you're going to give me the blueprint, the plans of my life? Lord, I just want to know how it's going to go. I want to please you, yes. But I'm convinced many of us, if we had a choice between knowing God's will and the details for the duration or knowing God, we'd pick the will. But that's got to completely flip, guys. See, it's all in the knowledge of God. And you won't really know his heart and his ways in a deep and profound way until you know him. Do you know God's will can become an idol in that sense? We can worship his will. And it's so well-intentioned. Who would imagine the will of God could become an idol worship object? But it can. And the reason is, is because it's, it's really about me, isn't it? It's really about me and knowing how my life's going to go and whether it's going to go according to plan. And if not, i got to get ready for that. And, and so when your plans fall apart the day they were supposed to start, what then? Well, we say, Lord, I want to know you and the disappointment of this and the discouragement of this and the tragedy of this. I want to know you. And here's the great, great news. That goal can be accomplished in every circumstance. Vietnam, just cruising with life going great, sitting in a prison like Paul, who said, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. How, how do you do that? Exactly what we're saying. Can you, can you seek your goal and find your goal sitting in a prison, sitting on a cancer ward? Can you find it at the height of your accomplishments when you could easily become quite full of yourself? Yeah, in all circumstances, we can be content. Why? Because the main goal is always completely accomplishable 
no matter what the circumstance. And I've found in my life, the hard times are often the time I'm paying attention the most. And God's working the most. Yet we resist them at all costs. Instead of leaning into the suffering. We, we try to avoid it at all costs. And, and we need to say, Lord, what do you have for me in this? This is not what I would have chosen. But what do you have for me in this? And so we seek wisdom, spiritual understanding in the knowledge of God. Don't miss that. That's where it all is. So God is the only wise God. So as we seek to know God, find knowledge of God, focusing on wisdom now, we say he's the only wise God. That, again, is a relative statement. It doesn't mean that Toby isn't wise. It doesn't mean that we don't have wisdom. But again, it's a relative statement. It's what Paul says when he says, let God be true and every man a liar. Right? It's a relative statement. If the whole human race took a vote and agreed on one thing and God disagreed, the whole human race is wrong. That's what that's saying. It's hard to believe that living in a democracy when we think that, that the popular vote determines it. Well, we know better, right? But uh, uh, no, he's the only wise God. He's the source of all wisdom. He's the one we go to when we need wisdom. He's the one we know that wisdom flows out of. And here's the definition of wisdom. He always knows and chooses the best goals and this is vital the best means to those goals wisdom then is a moral as well as an intellectual quality it's got yes cognitive content which is why we come with our bibles open and notebooks and pens and and absorb knowledge we gain knowledge and and we we seek to know so there is an intellectual didactic teaching component to us we we, we are to teach in the in the great commission right it's not just do evangelism it's teach them to obey everything i've commanded there's an intellectual component to it but there's a moral component to it as well it's not just knowing things there are a lot of really smart highly educated evil people right and there are a lot of really good really really good uneducated not too smart people it, it, wisdom is more it's both right thinking and right affections and behavior that flows from that. So, listen to Packer. This is huge. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal. Together with the surest means of attaining it. Do you get that? It's one thing to have the right goals. But that's actually useless unless you know how to get there. Because the means matter. And if you don't know how to get to the goals, the goals are useless. And the means are, are meaningless without the goals, right? And, and then listen to Packer again. Omniscience being all-knowing. God lacks zero, he has every bit of knowledge. Omniscience governing omnipotence, being all-powerful. Infinite power ruled by infinite wisdom is a basic description of the divine character. Wow, the great theologian who just died a few months ago arguably the greatest theologian of the last century. He says, you, you can summarize divine character this way. Infinite wisdom guiding infinite power. Power without wisdom is terrifying. Can you imagine a powerful God without wisdom? <gasps> it's like many of our leaders. 
They've got all this power and not the wisdom to back it up. Now, the other is equally problematic, right? Can you imagine have wisdom and not power? You, you know the best goals and the means to them. You just don't have the ability to pull it off. <gasps> that'd be horrible. That, that'd be just as bad. An impotent God is just as bad as a, a despot God, right? They're both useless to what's good and what's glorifying to God and good for us. And so God is infinite power guided by infinite wisdom. It's a wonderful thing. Now, this is not my mentor. This, this is a... This, think about guru wisdom, this idea that you go to this man on the mountaintop and you find wisdom as he tells you these pearls of wisdom. That's why I, I like this. Uh, what is the meaning of life? Have you tried Googling it? Um, th that's how we find our answers these days, right? Quick solutions. It actually grieves me that so many great conversations have been derailed by Google. There's some, don't, don't just run to your phone all the time when you have a question or, you wonder, or you're trying to remember something with friends. Hey, what, what was it that we did? Oh, when was that? Or hey, oh, how did they win that World Series game? Oh, let me see. There, there's something valuable about just the, the remembering discovery of things, those conversations. And how about how emasculating it's been for having, no one ever asks us for directions anymore. Remember how manly you, manly you used to feel when somebody says, hey, how do I get here? It's like, well, here's what you do, ma'am. You take a right, and, and we don't do that anymore. It's gone, right? And there's something about those interactions we, we don't want to lose. You don't Google and find wisdom. And again, this wisdom and power idea is huge. Listen to Job. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Watch how often in the Bible power and wisdom go together. To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. You didn't notice before, did you? They go together all the time. Throughout the Bible, power and wisdom go together because they have to, right? It'd be horrible and terrifying and, and, and hopeless if power and wisdom didn't go together, but they do. To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. Daniel 2, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Every wisdom and power are his. And I could, I could show you hundreds of verses that bear this out. Think about God's wisdom in creation. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Creation is birthed out of the wisdom of God. He redeems us out of his wisdom. God's intent was that now through the church, that's amazing, through us, the manifold, full wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which the, he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's redeeming us and now advancing his wisdom in this world through us, his worms. Yes, he's using us in that way. Don't ever forget Christ is our wisdom. Listen to this. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who've not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, this is wonderful. Now, my primary goal is not to read as many parenting books as I possibly can so I can raise my kids with wisdom, although that can be greatly helpful. But my main goal is to know Christ. And as I know Christ, 
I will become more like Christ, and the fruit of the Spirit will start to manifest in my life. And even if I don't have all the best answers from all the best parenting books, I know Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ is showing up in me. And you know what? I'll be a good dad. You know, be the men God calls us to be, the husbands God calls us to be, the friends, the roommates, the employees, the employers, the husbands, the fathers he calls us to be is fundamentally about becoming more like Jesus. All, all those other details and advice is so helpful, but if we're not becoming like Christ, just call the whole thing off. It'll be something so different than what it's intended to be. He is our wisdom in everything. In him, in him are found all the treasures of Christ. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I love it. That's what Gary did for us this morning. He was boasting in the Lord and how God worked in his life. So let me make some conclusions here. God's wisdom is great and deep and precious and valuable and very much to be desired. And so we need to wake up in the morning and not just think about the details of our lives and the things on our daytime or getting those accomplished, but growing in wisdom by finding wisdom in the knowledge of God. This needs to be our driving motivation to get up and say, Lord, I want to know you today. When I hit the the pillow, 16 hours from now, I want to know you more than I do now. It's got to be what drives us. Our minds can be flooded with all the things we've got to do that day. The fun things, the hard things, all of it. And, and in all of it, though, the driving motivation needs to be to know God. Lord, I don't want to know you. I want to know Christ better by the end of this day than I did at the beginning of it. And like I said in the beginning, God's wisdom is not always clear to us. But it is clear to us what it means to pursue knowledge of God. And then that wisdom becomes clear over time. And then three, God's glory is the ultimate good, uh, good of his people and always his primary goal. His glory and the good of his people is his goal. That means we can see even great evil in this world and believe that God's glory is being exalted and his, the, the good of his people is what's driving everything. That's why it says in Romans, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. See, you don't know them much, much, much of the time. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who's been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And then this is so important, friends. The wisdom of God is often seen as foolishness by the world. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's primarily us. Not flattering, but God's MO. So that no one may boast before him. It's one of my heroes, Antonin Scalia incredibly brilliant man and and listen to what he said in a speech he gave one time uh, supreme court justice for many years but scalia said this god assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view christians as fools and he has not been disappointed <laughs> devout christians are destined to be regarded as fools in modern society we are fools for Christ's sake. 
we must pray for courage to endure the scorn of the sophisticated world. If I have brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. Oh man, do we need that message. The church in the United States for the last generation has been like a junior high kid desperately wanting to be liked by the world. Be thought cool by the world. See, we're just as cool as you guys. What kind of game is that? It, it actually grieves me sometimes how much sense my life makes to pagans. How little I've been hated by the world. It really makes me wonder how, how much of a bold disciple I am. Are you okay with being considered a fool for Christ's sake in the way you spend your money to advance the kingdom instead of on yourself? In the way you, you are concerned about people on the other sides of the earth that you've never met and maybe never will meet and you'll give your resources and bring a brother in from, from Zimbabwe to talk about that? I love that. I love that. I so love that he was able to join us this morning. And I love that he's named after the first martyr. You know, it, it's just a beautiful thing to just embrace the foolishness of the way of Christ in a world. Yeah, how about this phrase? You're on the wrong side of history, you Christians. What else is new? So we should say, you know, the culture's go, going crazy one way, and we're going the opposite way. We're not jellyfish, right? We're dolphins. I've heard it said one time, we go against the waves. A lot of the time, that's a lot of our history. Let's not be bothered by that. You know, and with, with the way politics are, what, what, if, what if our religious freedom gets reduced? I pray it doesn't. But what if it does? What then? You know, I say to folks at our church, I want to be the kind of church that when persecution really comes, we don't lose anybody. Because we're disciples who know that's part of the deal. We're not here because of the nice facilities or that my kids love it or the programs are so great. We're here to grow as disciples. That's all good stuff. But we're here to grow as disciples so that no matter what comes our way, we're standing strong. And being called a fool should actually be affirming to us when we're fools for Christ. So we got to be humble. There's Rick's passage. I don't need to re-preach it. Um, so last thing, we seek wise counsel along the way. We, we do. We seek to know God, but you need each other. We need each other for wisdom. We need feedback. Please be a man who invites feedback, starting with your own character. Brother, do you see anything in me that I need to be aware of that maybe everybody else is talking about, but nobody's told me? Yeah, you cut people off. Have you ever noticed that? You don't let them finish your sentences. You don't treat your wife with much respect. You make fun of her in front of people. Don't do that. You know, you're harsh with your kids. You know, I'm not sure if you're stewarding your money well based on and some things I'm seeing. Is, is, that, is that maybe true? We need advice. We need input, even hard stuff like that. And encouraging things. We need wisdom from each other, from people who know us well, which means we need to have people who know us well. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Let's invite it. It's hard to give advice. It's you and Jesus, right? No, it isn't. It's never been. We need to be involved in each other's lives, not as grace killers, but as loving brothers. We seek wise counsel from people who know us well. We pray fast and seek the leading of the Holy Spirit as we seek wisdom. We consider what God has done in our past. That's a lot of how we figure out where he's leading us, what he's opened up for us in the past and enabled us to do in the past. Not always, 
but sometimes. And then consider what God's up to now. These are all important ways to discern God's wisdom. I don't have time to go through Joseph's life, but look at it. That's Joseph's life. It looks like an EKG. Right? What is this? Lord, do you not know that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line? Apparently, God loves messy history. Human history, your history, ups and downs. It's just incredible how God works in all of that. And that's what Joseph came to realize. You intended this for evil, but God for good in all of it. Even to his scoundrel brothers, he can say that. Well, let me, let me just conclude with this. That, that's my family. We just took new family pictures yesterday. A couple of my kids hate this picture. One, because one of them has braces and the other one just doesn't like her hair. But, um, so we took new family photos uh, maybe five years ago. This is about five years ago, maybe. But, but this is my family. I just love my family. And if you'll notice, I have more Asian children than most Asian people. And if you notice, I'm not Asian. Now, what, what's the story of my family? Let me just tell you this. So Don and I got married, and then not long after, we realized we weren't going to be able to have children. And it may have been the most um, disconcerting realization of my presumptuousness about God's will in my life. I remember talking about not only that I was going to have children, but when I was going to start and how many I was going to have. I, I even thought at times, I said, yeah, I, th I think I'll have two boys and three girls. And he didn't determine the gender, right? <laughs> uh, which he actually can do these days, which is bizarre. And grandmothers can have their own grandchildren. It's the world we live in. Yes, it's a very strange world. But, but I can remember being so presumptuous. And so I, I could not believe that when we were going through infertility, I'll never forget it. I remember reading that Madonna, you know Madonna, my wife is Donna, well Madonna, Madonna decided she wanted to have a baby. So she asked her personal trainer if he would do the, do the favor. And she got pregnant by her personal trainer with no intention of a relationship with him. She just wanted to have a baby. So she did. And I remember reading that in the midst of battling infertility saying, Lord, really? Really, we're every month, it's just another crushing disappointment. Not my plans at all. And, and so it was, it was really difficult to somehow reconcile my wife, unable to be a mom, but Madonna getting the blessing. I just think my wife would be a better mother than Madonna. I'm not sure why I think that. But, but, so how could that work? Well, you know, we finally said, all right, Lord, we think this is what you have for us. We, we, talk, we talked about adoption for a while. And then we finally said, all right, Lord, this is what you have for us. We're, we're going to dive into college ministry and take all this parental affection and pour it into other people's kids when they come to college. And just kind of take the baton from those parents. And God bless that ministry in awesome ways for 18 years. My wife ended up getting a PhD, being on the faculty by Ola. We were just cruising. We said, we'll do this forever. And then we went to India in 05 and saw orphans everywhere. And God broke our hearts for, for orphans, especially older girls at the time. And we knew we had to do something. So we came home. A whole bunch of circumstances led up to adopting our daughter on your left. She immediately said she wanted a sister or a kitten. 
we went with the sister. And then eventually got the kitten too. And then God just brought us our dear Sam, who's sitting over there. And then after that brought us Isaac. And this is our family now. See, like I said, most of the time I can't connect the dots. But sometimes it takes to get to 56 to say, God, you're good. When I was in Egypt back in the early 90s, wondering why in the world you were good then too. I can remember rejoicing with our friends who had gone through infertility as well when they finally got pregnant and had a baby, even though we didn't. And it was that bitter sweetness and celebrating with them. But what I didn't know at the time is we were celebrating with our friends. Our daughter Caroline had already been born in Taiwan and was going to wait eight more years before she came home. We didn't know it. We didn't know we had a daughter, even though there was a bitterness to the sweetness. She was already walking the earth, waiting for her family. We don't know. We're going to spend all of eternity saying, would you look at how he was working? We had no idea. Would you look at how he was, just like this brother said about the, the people hearing about Jesus with their derailed plans. Well, let's believe God's good and he's wise and he's powerful and he's always working for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your wisdom and your power. Thank you for the ways you're working, countless ways, even right now in this room, making us better men and disciples and husbands and fathers and friends and sons, employees, employers, neighbors. Lord, thank you for how you're working right now clearing up some of the distortion of our sin and enabling your image to show more and the character of Christ to develop more and the witness we have to advance more and your glory to be exalted and your ways to be acknowledged and knees then will bow to Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful, trusting that you're always good and always wise and always able to do everything you promise. And Lord, we know that one day we're going to get home and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And until then, help us to walk out in a very daily way, the taking up of our cross and following in the footsteps of the one who gave his life for us. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.